0: Amen. Please be seated and turn again to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, looking at verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned of God or things not seen as yet, moved with fear prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. This morning we tasted that the Lord is gracious. Jesus Christ met with us and gave us strength for the journey. It is therefore comely and fitting to give thanks unto the Lord. We do that with worship. We worship him for his full, complete salvation given to us as a free gift and received by faith. But we also give thanks by receiving that grace and using that grace to grow in faith and obedience, to help us in a practical way, I want to consider Noah's faith. What can we learn about Noah's faith so that our faith would grow? In Hebrews 11, as you know, is often entitled "The Hall of Faith." The writer to the Hebrews is exhorting Jewish Christians not to deny the Lord, not to fall away, but to persevere unto the end. Where it says in chapter 10, verse 38, Now the just live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So how will we not draw back, but press on to the saving of the soul? Well, Old Testament saint after Old Testament saint is given as a cloud of witness so that we can learn from them, just like people we have in our lives. There might be a particular man or woman you know, and you know they're godly. That's a man of faith. That's a woman of faith. And you look up to him or you look up to her so that so far as they follow Christ, you will follow them. And that's the same for Noah. Noah is a man of faith. And as he has faith, we may learn how to copy his faith and grow in faith. And we start here by trying to have some sort of understanding of what is faith. It says here, by faith. Well, we need to know what it is in order to copy it, don't we? And faith in this whole chapter is faith at a particular angle. It's given here, of things not seen as yet. Noah's faith is grounded in trusting God things he could not see and things that were not present but were future and this is coming out because verse 1 has already defined this kind of faith faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen so we grow in faith By understanding faith. Faith. The evidence of things not seen. Faith is not. Studying things. According to your five senses. And drawing conclusions. That's not faith. That's sight. And that's good for all manner of things of course. But that's not faith. Faith is to trust in something you cannot see or smell or hear or taste or touch. You see, God has revealed himself through his works, the works of creation, works of providence, works of salvation. And yes, all these things point to God clearly, Romans 1, but nevertheless, it's still all by sight. And it's only faith can look through that which is seen and see him which is unseen. This is why those who do not have faith they look at the same thing as we do and they say, There is no God. And yet we look at it and we say, Clearly, there's a God. How can you look at an atom or electron or a neutron? How can you look at RNA or DNA or protein? How can you look at animals or the solar system or black holes and say, chance just came to be. Uh, Everything came from nothing. But then faith. Faith trusts in that which you cannot see. And secondly, faith believes in future things. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is something that's in the future and not present. See, God has promised future things. Future things. He's promised that we're all going to die. He's promised Jesus Christ is going to literally, physically return. He's promised Every single human being, man, woman and child, will face Judgment Day. He has promised heaven and all its glories for his people. And he's promised hell and all its horrors and torments for the unbelievers and wicked. But none of that's present. I'm alive right now. Christ hasn't returned. Judgment Day is not now, it's future. Heaven and hell I'm not in heaven or hell, I'm in earth. And to the unbeliever, it's not here. It's not before me. If it's true, let me see it. But faith, well, faith makes things that are distant by time real right now. Just like the cross. The cross was 2,000 years ago. But as we saw this morning, I hope by the Spirit of God, That cross at Calvary was not 2,000 years ago. It was right here and right now before me by faith. Same in the future. All the things I've mentioned, they're all in the future. I don't know when the Lord's going to return. You know, heaven and hell's in the future. But the second coming judgment day, heaven and hell, it's all real to me like present, current events. Why? By this is why faith is not merely assent. Many people agree there's a God who's invisible, but it doesn't affect their lives. That's unbelief. Lots of people agree there's a judgment day and a heaven and a hell, and it has no practical effect on the here and now. So those who assent do not have true faith, but true faith trusts in the unseen. Trusts in future promises and it applies and affects our lives right here, right now. So this is the faith that we who are Christ have and this is the faith we need to nourish. And we do this with a particular work. Uh, it's what G.I. Packer summarised as heaven work and heart work. Packer summarises the Puritan teaching on holiness and godliness and he says it starts with heaven work. Heaven work is the Christian meditating on the unseen future realities and living biblically in light of these unseen future realities. Heart work is to, through the word and prayer, make sure we truly believe these unseen future realities. Anything that's distracting us to live for materialism, for the temporal, for the earthly, to kill that sin, to kill that distraction, so we can be reorientated in heaven work. And we see this illustrated, at least, in Noah. What did Noah believe? Noah believed in God's judgment and God's salvation. First of all, God's judgment. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen, as yet moved with fear, prepared an ark. See that? So, in Genesis chapter 6, God comes and surveys the earth. And he says that every imagination of the thoughts of the heart are only evil continually. That's man. He sees the violence and the wickedness filling the earth. And God comes and warns them in 120 years I am going to destroy the world with a universal flood. This is my judgment against sin. Which means they had 120 years to repent. And the people did not believe. And therefore the promise was future and unseen. They did not believe. They carried on their wickedness and they were destroyed. But Noah believed. Even though it was unseen and 120 years' time, Noah truly believed judgment was coming and therefore appropriately responded and built the ark. Our faith needs to truly believe that judgment is a coming. Because the judgment of Noah's day is the picture and type of Of universal judgment to come. Not with water, because God's promised he would not do that, but with fire. Second Peter chapter three verse six. The world that then was being overflowed with water perished, but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Do we believe that? Not do we agree with that but do we believe that? Because we can agree to this and it has no practical effect in our lives. Might give you fuzzy feelings, might give you some superiority of truth but it doesn't affect how you live your life you live your life as you please and you can use religion as a crutch to help you but actually it has no present effect but faith is different true faith believes it and it applies to your life let me speak a word if someone here. Who might be religious, but not truly repenting of their sins and trusting in the Saviour. Religion doesn't save. Going to church does not save. Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes are religious but not saved. The church is full of foolish virgins as well as wise. There are sheep and there are goats. But if we truly believe judgment's coming, we would believe... And we'd repent and we'd trust in Jesus and we would live according to Jesus' commandments. But we who are believers, how do we apply this? The Bible is absolutely full of practical applications of living in light of judgment day. Let me just give you a select few and you can meditate and apply it much more than we can in one sermon. Killing your sin. Killing sin, we can become so familiar with our sin, so accepting, so tolerating. But in Mark chapter 9, Jesus uses the fires of hell to motivate his disciples to kill sin. Mark nine forty three: If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed then having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And again, he repeats it with plucking out the eye. So there's a sin in your life. There's a sin in my life. We're not really dealing with it as we ought. What's going to motivate us? Well, if we believe the warning. And if we meditate on hell, that will move us to truly deal with our sin. Unrepentant sinners who do not truly believe in judgment to come will not change their lives because their sin is more valuable than Christ. Believers need to think more about hell. We need to think about hell fire, fire and brimstone, the lake of fire, unquenchable fire, worm dying not. That God will eternally torment rightly and justly as punishment for sin. And with a holy faith, You believe that and it helps you to kill sin. So brother and sister, let's learn from Christ himself. Hell is a motivation for mortification. Second application for this, evangelism. Maybe we are cold regarding the lost. Maybe we are unmoved by the fact we live in the midst of thousands and millions of people who are literally going to a lost eternity. How can we be motivated? Judgment day. Judgment day. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 to 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and to give an account for all that we do, whether it be good or evil. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, let us persuade men. So put yourself on judgment day. Think about you have to give an account for your life. Now imagine you have to give an account without Jesus Christ. What would happen to you on judgment day? You know the answer, brother and sister. The more you think about that, you'll see your neighbour, your fellow sinner. And you know the only difference between me and him and me and her is the grace of God. And that will, knowing the terrors of the Lord, persuading men, pleading with men, praying more for our children and our family members and our neighbours and work colleagues. So think more about judgment. And that will help you to evangelise. Secondly, Noah believed God's salvation. God's salvation. In Galatians chapter 6 is a wonderful word. Grace. What was the difference between Noah and the men who were violent, who filled the world with wickedness and corruption? Grace. It's just beautiful. Genesis chapter six, just you read the whole descriptions of everyone, and then verse eight just pops out. But Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. That is just beautiful. God chose Noah to build the vehicle of salvation. And it was a most foolish instrument of salvation indeed. I am going to send a universal flood. Build a box. That's what an ark is. An ark's not a boat. It's not a ship. I know we like to do that, whether it's in children's books or building to scale arcs that look like boats. It wasn't a boat. It was a box. Because how can a box... How can a box create floods? It's foolishness. It's a box being built with a promise of waters when you're hundreds of miles away from the sea. And I would not be dogmatic on this, but there is a, a, a lawful argument to be made that there never has been rain before the flood. The Bible talks about how the mist. Uh, watered the plants and then the first time you mention rain is in Genesis chapter uh, 8, now that doesn't automatically mean there wasn't ever rain that's why you have to, can't be dogmatic it's not like you read the Bible and the first time it mentions something oh it's the first time it's ever existed that, that's not the way it's supposed to be but there is a lawful argument uh, there's more I could go into it but I'm not going to get sidetracked right now but there's a lawful argument that there's never been seen rain which means what? Foolishness. That's why it says in Second Peter there were scoffers. Okay, nowhere near sea. Either there had, never has been rain or if it rains, come on, is it really going to flood the world? And we're going to be saved by a box. And Noah says, I believe, Lord. I believe and I'm doing it. And by believing, he became an heir of righteousness. He received righteousness, just like Abraham who believed and it was counted in for righteousness, just like for me and you, brothers and sisters, justification by faith alone. Believing the gospel increases our faith. Because just like Noah, the only difference between him and everyone else was grace. The only difference between me and you and everyone else is grace. By grace are ye saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That should wow us. That should amaze us. As Christians, we hear the word grace a lot, and that's good, but we can take it for granted. It can lose its edge. It can become dull. Let's have a sermon on salvation by grace alone. I've heard it before. But stop and think about it. Without grace alone, we would be exactly like the world And we would be condemned with the world, and we would never believe. What amazing, wonderful grace we've received. And what did we believe? We believed, like Noah believed, on something foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1. The world thinks that we can be saved from an eternity in hell by a Jewish man who died in a Roman crucifixion. That's why people laugh and mock, scoffers. Why would you believe someone dying on a Roman crucifixion can save anyone? Faith is the wisdom and power of God. When you believe God's justice and you believe God's mercy and they come together in beautiful harmony on the cross, it makes perfect sense. But it's only faith in that Christ that makes it sense. And when we believe, we are heirs of righteousness too. We are declared righteous in the sight of God and fully and fully, freely forgiven all our sins. So the more we meditate on salvation, the more our faith will be strengthened. There's a famous saying by Martin Luther, you've probably heard it, that Luther said every morning preach the gospel to yourself." And many people agree, and I agree. But what if we actually did it? What if we actually preached the gospel to ourselves every morning? To be amazed with the love of God afresh every time we get up. Every time we stop and think, what a free gift I've received. How would that affect your conduct in life? How would that affect you? are in work, you're stressed out, one of your walk colleagues is just not doing what you should be doing. Every flesh wants impatience and to cut someone off, uh, you know, these sort of things. But when you're filled with an experience of the grace of God, that affects you. Let's preach the gospel to ourselves every morning. And let's walk in the fragrance, you know, some people put aftershave or perfume every morning. They can't leave their home without it. Let's have the gospel fragrance on every morning. Let's, let's not leave our homes or leave our bedrooms without the, the gospel fragrance. Another application of this is praise. Sometimes worship can just be routine and familiar. Ephesians 1, six to the praise of the glory of his grace. By truly meditating on grace and salvation, it just sets fire to the soul. It causes you to bow down and adore the God who would grant all things by free, gracious election. Is your worship a bit? Yeah, you do it because you're supposed to. The more you truly meditate on the ark, on Christ, on his crucifixion, on his sufferings, on his benefits. It will give you more and more heart to praise him. Do you lack confidence in the Christian life? What I mean by that is confidence in coming to God. You know your sin, you know your inadequacies, and you're a bit fearful to come to God. The more you meditate on Christ's perfect work in salvation, the more it will give you assurance. Hebrews ten nineteen, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Boldness. Are you bold in prayer? Are you bold to come in the presence of God? You should be. Don't worry, brothers and sisters, I never said arrogant. Boldness, confidence, why? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus cleanses from every sin. The blood of Jesus gives me the right. The right to come into the presence of God. If someone was uh, in your household, you've been at church, you've been out, and someone's at the door and says, you're not allowed in your house. I have every right to be in my own house. Do you have the right to come to God? Yes, you do in Christ. His blood has given you the right to be in the presence of God. We can apply this so many ways. But meditate on salvation and it will affect your life. But what moved Noah to believe? What moved him to build the ark? Fear. Fear. By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear. This was the animating principle in Noah's life. The fear of God. In fact, you cannot be a Christian except you have the fear of God. Jeremiah 32 verse 40 says in the everlasting covenant, new covenant, I will put my fear in their hearts so how do you know you're born again how do you know you're regenerate how do you know you're a true convert you fear God the fear of God remember brethren is not a slavish fear one step out of lying smack no it's a filial fear a reverential awe of God that draws you towards God and never away from him, that loves him so much you desire to please him, and you dread offending him because you know it offends him. It's a filial, loving fear. As to what fear that Jesus had. Jesus feared God. Isaiah chapter 11 says, the (laughs) sevenfold Holy Spirit will graciously bless Christ. He's the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding. And he also has the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Hebrews 5, 7. Why did God answer Jesus Christ's prayers? He answered because he feared. (coughs) So Jesus Christ feared his Father. Was he scared of God the Father? Of course not. Did Jesus always want to go towards God the Father or away from God the Father? Towards God the Father. Did Jesus Christ always delight to please the Father? Absolutely. And part of that motivation was fear. What motivated Jesus not to disobey God? The fear of God. And so when we are born again, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, gives us the grace of Fear, fear. And so Noah, he believed judgment was a coming. He believed the only way of salvation was the ark and therefore moved with a godly fear. He built the ark for the saving of his household. So let us fear God. How will the fear of God help us in our practical Christian life? Worship. Worship. The more we fear God, the more we'll feel the weight of his presence. The more we fear God, the more we will know by faith his majesty is with us. Hebrews chapter 12, the last two verses. 28. Let us have grace. See, not law. The fear of God is grace, not law. Whereby we may serve or worship God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. This is New Testament, not Old Testament, just in case people try to divorce too. So in the gospel, under grace, God is still a consuming fire. And because of Christ... We're not terrified. Just like the burning bush, the fire is present, but we're not consumed. And so we come with reverential awe, knowing by faith he is with us, the majesty, the weight is upon our shoulders, and therefore we worship him with fear and reverence and adoration. How will you learn to do this more? By meditating on the highness and loftiness and majesty and holiness of God. Job was a true believer. And Job uh, was trying to speak about his situation and his circumstances. And trying to give rationale from it as he goes back and forth with his friends. And then God speaks. 38 to 42 in your own time for the fullness you don't know what you're talking about. Were you there at the beginning of the world? Did you lay the foundations? Did you hear the angels praising me? Do you understand the whirlwind? Do you understand the behemoth? Do you understand the Leviathan? Do you understand any of these things? And then by the end of a four-chapter speech by God, he says, I repent in ashes. I heard by the hearing of the ears, but now I truly see. And he's humbled and filled with the fear of God. Meditate on the majesty. But maybe you need a practical help. I know I do at times. Read R.C. Sproul's The Holiness of God. Or listen to the lectures. That's been a modern classic for many people to discover for the first time. What he would call the Mysterium Tremendum. The holiness of God. That will bring you fear, godly fear, and that will fill your worship with reverential awe. Fear will also help you in the midst of a society that hates Christ. In Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus warns, if you're going to be faithful to me, if you're going to proclaim the gospel, men are going to hate you, they're going to arrest you, they're going to put you in jail, they're going to put you into death how are you going to be faithful do not fear him that can kill the body fear him that can kill the body and soul in hell it's easy to criticise people who are in the spotlight because you never really know until you're in that spotlight nevertheless too many professing Christians get into the spotlight Singers, actors, politicians, whatever. And they crumble. They crumble. And they compromise in morality. They compromise with the exclusivity of Christ. They compromise with biblical principles of government and society. Crumble. They don't fear God. They fear popularity. They fear people buying their songs or movies or whatever, they fear losing their career. They fear the electorate. They fear losing votes. They fear going into obscurity. They don't fear God. But if they a the fear of God, they would lose all these things and rejoice. Rejoice. Because faithfulness is better than earthly success. And so you and me, brothers and sisters, we might not be in the spotlight, but the spotlight might come to us in our family households or in our employments or in uh, whatever facet of life we may work ourselves into. Faithfulness or compromise. The fear of God will help you to be faithful. So be like Noah, truly believe God is God and be moved Godly fear. But now we see Noah's faith is an obedient faith. By faith, he was warned of things not seen as yet. He was moved with fear, so he prepared an ark to the saving of the house. He obeyed. This obedience comes out much more explicitly in Genesis 6, verse 22. Thus did Noah. According to all God commanded him, so did he. Very emphatic. He did it. God said it. Do it. He did it. Let us all be men and women who hear and do it. This is evangelical obedience. Uh, 1 John chapter 5 says something that can be quite provocative to some Christians. First John chapter 5. Verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. How do you know you're born of God? The commandments are not grievous, burdensome to you. Why is this? Because you do not obey the commandments for justification. You're obeying the commandments out of love and thankfulness to God. Big difference. So when someone's trying to please God, trying to be right in the sight of God for the acceptance before him or for forgiveness or for righteousness, The commandments are very, very grievous. Because you know you can't keep a single one spotless. They just pile upon you and make you miserable because how can you, in your imperfect obedience, please a perfect God? The commandments are very burdensome. But when you have faith in Jesus Christ for justification, for your acceptance before God, he fulfilled the commandments for you he gives you his obedience by faith alone and therefore the commandments are the response of a loving heart to God and therefore they're not burdensome is keeping God's commandments and obeying him a burden to you is it grievous to you if you're a Christian it shouldn't be of course it grieves us when we sin we're not denying that But just the fact of desiring to obey God's commandments should not be grievous, but a joy. Grieves us when we're inconsistent. Grieves us when we're not as faithful as we ought to be. But nevertheless, we have a real loving desire to obey. Let's be like Noah and obey God. Psalm 1, who's the blessed man? He meditates on God's law day and night, and he's compared to a tree besides the river, which in its season yields its fruit, and his leaf fadeth never. So you look at the... I want to live, live the best life now. I want to live the sum and bonum, the, the, the life that gives the highest good, the highest blessing, the highest joy. Fear God and keep his commandments. And so I come to the word of God. I want to live a life that's pleasing to my saviour. So I'm going to meditate and think about the Bible. How does it apply to this area of life? How does it apply to that area of life? I'm going to pray for the grace of God and I want to keep his commandments. And I'll be a fruit bearing tree. A fruit bearing tree. So brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ... Obey Him. Obey Him. Where in your life do you think that you're not obeying Him as you are? Come out of a communion season knowing that area, repenting of that area, being encouraged with a renewed tasting of the power of God and kill the sin that's stopping you obeying and obey to the Lord's pleasure. Thirdly and lastly, Noah's faith condemned the world. By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an art to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world. So he believed God and he obeyed God and therefore that condemned the world because his faith And his life for 120 years was the light in the midst of the darkness. Noah was a lily in the midst of thorns. And he stood out and therefore the sinfulness, the unbelief and the disobedience of the people around him was condemned by Noah's faith. Does your faith condemn the world? Does my faith condemn the world? So when people see me and everyone around me, the only difference is I say I'm a Christian and I go to church. But how I live my life is the exact same as everyone around me. If that was the case, then I would not be a man of true faith. And I would not be living my life according to true faith. Same with you, brother and sister. Do you live your life the exact same way as the rest of the world? The difference have You have this faith, you go to church on a Sunday, but the rest of your life is completely the same as the world. That's not true faith. But true faith, because it believes, because it fears God, because it obeys and lives according to the Bible, it condemns the world. James 4, verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know friendship with the world is enmity with God. Do not use we're to be in the world and not of the world as an excuse to live like the world. That's theologically true. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. That's, that's a very theological statement. I'm not against the statement, but too often when people say that, it's basically I want to live like the world. <laughs> Let that not be with us. Not that we're weirdos, not that we have to live in compounds or communes or whatever. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about godly living stands out. That's what we're talking about. And Noah's godly living is revealed in Genesis 6, verse 9. He was just, perfect, and what with the Lord? He was just. He lived his life according to the righteousness of God. He was impartial. He was fair. He was merciful. He was kind. He loved his neighbour as himself. Stood out from the selfish, violent, prideful world. Let that be us. We live a life according to righteousness. According to the Ten Commandments. We don't treat people partially. As God's not a respecter of persons... We're not respecters of persons. We treat people in all spheres of our lives, our work lives, our family lives, etc. We treat people fairly made in the image of God. We live lives sacrificially to love other people. We don't want anyone to be hurt. We don't want people to be harmed. Therefore, we'll love our neighbour as our selves perfect Christians are to be perfect till they're not saved but perfect I don't mean the word we use perfect I mean the Bible's perfect the Bible's perfect does not mean sinless it means devoted and loyal let me give you an example King Asa First Kings chapter 15, verse 14. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord. David, First Kings 15, verse 3. The heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as the heart of David his father was. Okay. David's heart was perfect. Was he sinless? We all know the answer. But he was perfect. Asa did not keep every commandment because he still allowed the trees, the groves to continue. He didn't tear them down, but it says here he was perfect. Perfect means devoted and loyal to God. When you sin, you repent. When you're not as faithful, you repent. But your heart puts God first. Do you put God first? Do you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Walk before the Lord perfect in all your ways, not sinless, but with a true heart of devotion and loyalty. And this is demonstrated as he walked with the Lord. This was a piety. And a closeness with the Lord. He didn't just know about the Lord, he knew the Lord. He communed with the Lord. This is to always daily walk with the Lord in prayer, in word, in meditation, in true piety, reading good books, leading family worship, talking about the things of God with our wives, talking about the things of God with our children, prioritising spiritual exercises, making sure our souls are fed and making sure we are walking hand in hand with the Lord. You do that, you stand out from the world. Many Christians have an empty profession of faith. Don't read the Bible, don't pray, don't meditate, don't teach their children godly things. They're just like the world. But true faith, heart of devotion, a heart of piety... Walked with the Lord. Brother and sister in Jesus Christ, let us learn from Noah's faith. We all fall short here. I do. What happens when we fall short? We sincerely repent. But what do we sincerely desire? To grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let us stop here and know, her, understand his faith Believing in the unseen and future, being moved with fear, uh, obeying the Lord uh, and walking with the Lord, let us grow in Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for the cloud of witnesses, that we can stop and meditate and see Christ in them. We pray for grace. To give us the motivation, the fear, the faith, the strength. That we would delight. That we would not say the law is grievous, but we would say with the psalmist, Oh how I love thy law. Make us fruit bearing trees.